Welcome to another episode of Ask Canadian 6. This month's podcast is an interview with Sokman Dami from Nsaf. Sokman is the co-founder and co-director of Nsaf, a human rights organization that works to end impunity and achieve justice for crimes against humanity in India with a special focus on Punjab. We are honored to have Sokman with us this month. Especially in the month of June, we take a lot of time to remember what happened in the genocide in 1984. World Sikh Organization has been hosting many events. We had an Akhand Bart. We are remembering all the Shaheeds of 1984 and observing everything they went through and celebrating all that they were and everything that they fought for. It's so important that we continue to remember them as we strive for justice. Thank you for listening to this month's podcast. Again, you can follow us on all of our social media platforms. We are at WorldSick.org. We have also um, launched our charity platform. So take a look and keep an eye out for uh, WorldSick Organization's charity. And please follow us on all of those platforms as well. And as always, please consider making a donation. You can go to our WorldSick Organization and check out our This One program. My name is Mehakleen Kaur, and I am here joined today with Sukman Singh, one of the co-founders of Insaf. Thank you, Sukman, so much for joining me today. I'm looking very forward to the conversation um, we are about to have about Insaf. Um, thank you very much for inviting me to this conversation. I'm really glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So I let's just dive into the conversation because I have so many questions and so much I'm um, excited to to learn about. I've been following Ansaf for for a while now, and so and you know I think it was one of my first introductions into hearing stories of what took place in 1984. So I'm looking forward to to this conversation. So let's just start with. Um, where my curiosity peaks is what inspired you and the other co-founders to start Unsoft? How did that unfold? Uh, just Garn Gore and I um, co-founded Unsoft in 2004. Um, and I believe I can speak for both of us in saying that, you know, we were heavily influenced um, by Blue Star attack um, in 1984 and uh, the subsequent decade of disappearances and then of course the the pogroms that were unleashed by the Congress party in uh, Delhi and other uh, cities throughout India um, you know we were we were young children back then um, but uh, the events of 84 and the subsequent um, uh, decade or so was an issue that heavily affected um, you know, the Sikh community, Sikh diaspora, um, and obviously, you know, people in Punjab, uh, and, it, and it still continues to reverberate through um, the Sangats today. And, you know, we grew up um, hearing about the experiences of refugees as they um, fled Punjab and settled in uh, places like Canada and the United States. Um, and then, you know, we also traveled there um, with our families and, um, I can kind of recall uh, what the climate felt like at that time, the climate of fear and the climate of repression and 
um, the police checkpoints, and then of course, you know, hearing about incidences of you know torture and disappearances and unlawful killings. And so I think all those experiences from our childhood uh, stayed with us and uh, guided us uh, to ultimately going to law school, and then um, soon after law school, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, pursuing uh, this field of human rights. Wow. Okay. That's amazing. So this has been something that you have, um, had firsthand experience of feeling the tension or the, the nervousness that has come around like physically in, in India, if I'm hearing correct. Yeah. I mean, I was only a small, you know, child, uh, probably in middle school, if, uh, I have the timeline correct, but I definitely remember, uh, what that climate was like. And I remember the conversations that were happening the rural villages and I remember um, you know being stopped at checkpoints and um, you know uh, being kind of you know questioned by mm -hmm. forces about you know where we were traveling where you know we're heading um, and you know as I got older you know because of those memories I started to kind of uh, you know, do my own kind of reading and uh, have my own conversations about what really, you know, was happening or had happened at that time. And, you know, and, and I imagine this was, you know, the case um, in other, you know, parts of the world, but, you know, here kind of in the uh, New York City area where I grew up, um, six would regularly organize protests outside the Indian Embassy uh, in the 80s and 90s to protest against um, human rights abuses that were being perpetrated against Sikhs. And I remember also sometimes allying with the Kashmiri community because, you know, after after kind of the overt um, repression and counterinsurgency operations um, kind of concluded in Punjab um, in the mid-90s, um, around that time, um, the government kind of uh, was escalating their... Um, counterinsurgency operations and human rights abuses in Kashmir. And so um, by attending these protests, uh, I got to also learn about the experiences of other communities in India and how they had also suffered similar abuses by India's security forces. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's a trauma that, that sticks with you and, and it does leave you with so many more questions and, and once you're able to kind of process what had happened as I'm sure as you grew older, kind of really understanding it, it leaves you with even more questions, if anything, and wanting to know more. Um, something I would like to actually ask um, in terms of, of the title of the organization, UNSAF, um, could you elaborate on what, like, what does UNSAF mean and why, why did you guys choose that to be the title of what you're doing? UNSAF means justice uh, in Punjabi and a number of Indian and South Asian languages. And we were thinking about what to name the organization. We wanted to identify a term or a name that would be recognizable and be connected to our mission or kind of as we were conceiving of our uh, mission when we were initially you know, brainstorming the concept for this organization. And in researching the name Insaf, we found that it's actually recognized as kind of far west, so to speak, as the Middle East and as far east as uh, Indonesia. And the, the oh. name likely has origins in the Arabic or Farsi language. 
um, of course, and like those languages and cultures heavily influenced uh, South Asia, India, and Punjab. And so that's why we chose the name Insaf because it means justice. And there's been a you know, glaring lack of justice in Punjab and elsewhere in mm -hmm. India and South Asia for the types of gross human rights violations that the government uh, committed. And, you know, you know, frankly, continues to commit in uh, parts of India and regions under its control. Yeah, definitely. That's that's an incredible. That's exactly I feel like what um, what the organization does is, you know, you're looking for justice or at least bringing awareness to the justice needed. Um, can you talk me through how like was it a process to get to the name or was it was it kind of just the light bulb moment where where you and Jasper Gore were like yes like this needs to be unsolved i believe it happened relatively quickly um because there was other things that we wanted to kind of um move on to in terms of figuring out what would be the framework of the organization what would be our strategies for addressing um, impunity for the gross human rights violations in Punjab and other parts of India. So I think we just kind of brainstormed over a weekend and when we came up with it, it felt right. And, you know, people mm -hmm. in the community responded to it when we had some conversations and it just seemed, you know, obvious at that point. I think initially we were kicking around some type of, you know, acronym and we just realized like, we're overthinking it and we should just think about kind of what is our core work, what is our core understanding. And, you know, uh, as lawyers, we kind of thought and think through the framework of international law and human rights law. And we were and still are, you know, very much focused on this notion of truth, justice, and reparations as recognized um, in international law. And so I think having justice as a, a foundational concept, you know, embedded within the organization, reflected in its name, uh, served as a, a guiding point for us. And it seemed, you know, very fitting given, you know, what, what it was that we aimed to do and the nature of our activities. Yeah, well, that um, slides perfectly into the next question, kind of, and also it, it makes sense. Um, that we know now that we've covered what unsoft means, that it means justice. Could you talk more on what what exactly it is that unsoft does? I mean, we've we've kind of spoken a bit on you know bringing awareness and and justice and um, a little bit into it, but could you give more more uh, in depth details uh, of what what does unsoft do? Yeah, I'd be glad to address that. Um, I'll start by sharing our mission statement, uh, which is unsoft works to end impunity and achieve justice for crimes against humanity. In India with a focus on Punjab and we take an approach of investigating and documenting um, widespread and systematic human rights violations, organizing survivors to advocate for their rights, and then engaging in, uh, I guess you could say, international advocacy uh, to inform policymakers and the public about the scale and scope of the atrocities that occurred in Punjab. Um, but I would say the core, the, the foundation of our work is investigating and documenting abuses. And we do this through uh, 
a number of methods, so to speak. Of course, there's researching existing human rights reports, researching uh, court records on human rights litigation, um, reading through years of newspaper archives to collect information on reports of violent deaths and disappearances. But one of the largest undertakings of Insaf had actually been to conduct a census of all of Punjab, where we traveled to all of Punjab's uh, 13,000 villages, including um, urban areas like cities and towns, to find out how many people had been forcibly disappeared and unlawfully killed by India's security forces. So our that documentation work, um, where we collected information from secondary sources, but then we did our own original uh, field research, interviewing thousands of people to interview them about their experiences of gross human rights violations, underpins kind of all the documentation that we've collected and created, so to speak. And, and that information, that data, that evidence then underpins our other strategies. That's what um, is converted into uh, evidence that's used in legal cases. That documentation then is also used for reports and policy papers that we use to inform uh, the international community uh, and the public. And then we also, of course, use that documentation to share you know, with the Sangit and uh, with survivor communities. Wow. So that census, that I would love to touch a little bit more on, on that. So how long do you think it took for you to travel to all the villages? And, and was that like a team effort? Was there, was there volunteers part of this? Or was this kind of like a, just a few people kind of taking it on? That, no, that was a massive undertaking. And I would say the total time was six years plus or minus wow. six months. And so initially, we engaged in a pilot study where we took a random sample of villages in Amritsar. And then we traveled to those villages and interviewed family members whose loved ones had been disappeared and killed. From that pilot study, we were then able to refine our methodology and we decided to scale it across all of Punjab. Once we um, had confidence in that initial methodology and we were able to build that initial team of field researchers to go out into these rural areas um, and effectively document their experiences, we decided to kind of go for it, so to speak. And from there, we just started traveling district by district, uh, recruiting and training field researchers um, at each district, and then kind of going out into the villages every day over a course of six years to discover who had been uh, disappeared or killed. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a, wow. a lot. Yeah, there were volunteers, there were uh, you know field researchers. I mean, it was yeah a lot of you know, moving parts, so to speak, to kind of complete that uh, statewide census. That is incredible. I'm sure that that was not only a long undertaking, but it was I'm sure it was heavy to a certain extent as well of of hearing those firsthand stories and and physically being there and and. That's that's incredible. That is incredible work that is 
that was done. Um, and like adding on to that, what are some other resources of, of where you do find stories? As because um, I'm sure it's not easy to always be finding individuals and phys- like speaking to them and going to the villages. Um, how else do you find? any stories that you may bring to light of, of injustice or of, of disappeared people? Well, I, I would emphasize that the majority of our data, and I would say the largest data and information repository in existence is based on that census we conducted. And uh, so we've released um, a lot of that data on our Crimes Against Humanity uh, data visualization site, where you can navigate over 5,300 uh, victim profiles and read about uh, the circumstances of their uh, disappearance or unlawful killing. Um, that being said, we also um, have collected a lot of information from uh, 10 years of uh, newspaper archives from two sources primarily, the Ajith newspaper and the English Tribune. And so e- pri- prior to kind of doing the uh, Punjab-wide census, we wanted to get a sense of what was the scale and scope of the violence. And so what we did is we counted all the violent deaths that were reported in those newspapers over a 10-year period, and we developed kind of a heat map. And that gave us a good indication of what we would encounter in the field when we embarked on the census. Um, and you know, through the years, we've also been involved in supporting uh, litigation in Punjab, you know, at the Supreme Court, um, the Punjab and Haryana High Court, and India's National Human Rights Commission. And so the, like the legal pleadings and documents generated in the course of that litigation also uh, give us information um, kind of corroborating evidence, so to speak, uh, with respect to certain cases. Uh, another source uh, that has been very helpful to us is the Indian Police Service list. And so th- these are, this is an official list uh, that the central government puts out uh, states the name and rank and posting of Indian police service officers. And so just, just to kind of get into the weeds a little bit, there's, there's the Punjab police service and there's the India police service. But the higher ranking positions, those are um, fall under the Indian police service and kind of have central government um, involvement and oversight. And that information was critical because it helps us establish who the commanding official was at any given time in Punjab during that uh, counterinsurgency period. And that helps us attribute uh, who was responsible for the unlawful uh, disappearances and and killings and that was happening uh, in that district or, you know, any particular area in in Punjab. That that is a very like vital piece i'm sure of information to to digging deeper to deeper into this and so you had mentioned um the website where where you shared information from the census is there other 
resources that people can go to to learn to hear the stories like social media or or um, a different website or anything um, just for if anyone wants to get more information or dive deeper sure um so our main our main website has a lot of our reports on there and so we 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 have three digital platforms there's our main website that has um, that explains our work and our programs and it has a lot of our publications on there and a decent amount of videos. Then there's the, the data visualization site, which is the repository for all these cases that we've documented. And so presently uh, about 5,300 cases. And so there's an interactive map on there and there's a victim profile gallery. And then our third site is our testimonies of truth site and that's a video archive site. And so in addition to kind of you know, doing um, interviews with these families in some instances where the, where the case was particularly compelling or complex, we would do a video interview. And so that, that is a that Testimonies of Truth is a beta site. So it's still a work in progress, but it is um, live. And we have about um, a dozen videos on there, which are interviews with uh, surviving family members um, about their experiences of state abuse and about their disappeared or, or killed loved ones. I would say between these three digital platforms, there's you know reports, there's thousands of individual cases, and there's video testimonials um, that you can kind of go through. Um, beyond these resources, we, and our, in our main site, we do link to other uh, resources as well. Um, so reports uh, published by other human rights organizations, Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International, um, other major kind of uh, research works. Um, for example, there's a seminal work called Reduced to Ashes, which uh, documents, I believe, around five to 600 cases. And it also um, goes in depth into the uh, mass cremations case. And what that case is about, that's a very seminal case. That, that case was um, catalyzed by the work of Just One in Cholera, you know, a preeminent human rights defender who ex you know, discovered and exposed the practice of police forcibly dis disappearing and then secretly cremating the bodies of their victims to hide the evidence and destroy the evidence of their crimes. But he was able to expose um, through municipal cremation ground records evidence that the police had been depositing bodies of these individuals that they had disappeared and then secretly cremating them um, in mass. Some. Wow, oh and my so goodness. He was then subsequently um, disappeared and killed. And so that sparked um, essentially two cases, his individual disappearance case, but then also the mass cremations case, um, which, um, you know, went on for decades, essentially. And the aspects of it are still unresolved. Wow. But So Reduced to Ashes is kind of a very seminal work that uh, outlines uh, and goes into the history of just once in Colorado's investigations, as well as the mass cremations case. And then it also has, um, you know, several hundred actual cases um, in there as well. We designed the data visualization site from the perspective that you want 
anyone to be able to come to this platform and understand what happened. And so we believe that that visual is very powerful where you see the map of Punjab and there, uh, each point on that map shows where someone was disappeared or killed. And, and immediately looking at that map, you can see that the abuses were widespread and systematic. I mean, the, the map of Punjab is basically covered with all these yellow dots that show where these abuses happen. And so it becomes Im impossible to deny that the abuses were widespread and systematic. And that's kind of, um, those are, you know, specific terms on, in um, international law uh, when you're specifically trying to establish and meet the standard for crimes against humanity. So crimes against humanity mean that the abuses were widespread or systematic. And so we wanted to immediately make that point by visualizing the abuses spatially on this map. And um, we believe that anybody can kind of visit this site, look at that map, and come to that conclusion. And they can take this information, and they can take this tool, and they can, you know, present the information as well as, um, you know, just or RI or anybody who's worked on this case. We wanted to kind of really empower people kind of take this public tool and this public platform and begin having conversations within their communities and begin kind of informing uh, policymakers about the reality of uh, crimes against humanity in Punjab. Yeah, and this is a resource that I think like everyone should definitely check out. Um, that's that's incredible, and that work needs to be recognized. And and you know the best way to do it, I think, is to check out the websites and and educate yourself. And that's awesome. Thank you so much, um, Sukman, for joining me on the podcast today for sharing so much knowledge and so many resources. Um, it was truly a great conversation. Thank you so much. It was really my pleasure. Thank you for your interest and support. And if I may do a quick plug, um, the the main platform that I would recommend going to is data.insoft.org. Um, okay. And if you're able to yeah. link to uh, that platform and the other ones, we'd be really appreciative. And please yeah. welcome your feedback and all the feedback from uh, your listeners. Um, you know, everything is a work in progress. Um, and of course, if you have information about any specific uh, cases, uh, we would be glad to kind of uh, speak with you to, you know, improve and make sure that we're preserving um, and documenting as many cases as possible. You heard it here first. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Sukhman. I'm definitely going to take a look at the website and I look forward to us chatting more about it. So thank you so much. Uh, thank you to everyone who is listening. Bye, Grivika Khalsa. Bye, Jiki.